Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. We are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of Greenlink Networks, which is a voice over IP channel only. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to take that pain away from some of the new guys. I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues. My name is Craig Hickman. I'm with ProBlue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a managed service provider. We started in 2005. I started with three employees and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way. My name is Joe Ucia. I'm the CEO for Infinite IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're an MSP. We're currently about a dozen employees. We were originally founded in 1999. I believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share their mind share on how to overcome issues. I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago. I hope that you got a lot out of this podcast. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe, and Craig. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of IT for Whiskey. I am Craig Hickman, one of your co-hosts with my buddy Joe Usia and Myron Herrera. What's up? How you doing? What's going on, it's boys? A, it's a special afternoon, evening, morning. Well, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Depends. It's five o'clock somewhere. So my my eldest daughter has decided that Wednesdays don't exist anymore. She she took them out of the week. So we have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday one, and Sunday two. And why did she get rid of? We'll say what nobody likes the hump day, so she just got rid of it. I was about to say why did she get rid of the hump day, but then we're so why don't you just have two Tuesdays? Nobody likes Tuesday either. Two Sundays is a lot better. Yeah, but that means the rest of the week you're off by one. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think it matters. <laughs> Nowadays, does it really matter? Does the down or what day of the week? We're all just doing work whenever. And so, one of the things that um, with all our free time working from home, that a lot of MSPs have the time to work on themselves, as we said in previous episodes, are how do you position your business in the market? And what are some of the different MSP pricing models that work? the best for your specific business. So today we're going to actually talk a lot about the different MSP pricing models. We'll kind of touch on the, the different types that are out in the market that are common. We'll talk about what the three of us use in our businesses and what our pros and cons and experiences are with the different business models or pricing. I think that's a great idea. I, I could have used that when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> I know because the challenge is how do you price yourself properly that you're not too cheap, that people just take advantage of you, but you're not too expensive that you price yourself out of the market. And I think most of us want to provide a good value, but how do you figure that one out, right? It depends also where you are, because as as we know, for the three of us, as we're in different areas, it's different. Craig's market requires a different type of pricing versus Joe and myself. I think the first thing that we did when we decided to be a pure MSP is we broke away from 
the break fix slash hourly pricing model. It works great for projects because that's how you ensure you protect yourself. But doing your traditional break fix slash hourly pricing for break fix, I think is the first thing that you've got to wrap your head around. I need to ditch this. I got to move away from it because subscription rates are a steadier income that guarantee a fairer model for both yourself and the customer, but it also protects you both as well, right? Yep. Yep. For sure. Craig, what are, what are some of the different models that you know of? There's the free model where it's free. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to count that one. So free is great because you call, I don't answer ever. So we don't add any tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. No tickets. hundred percent closure rate. 100% 100% SLA. No AR problems. <laughs> no AR questions are easy. It's always paid somehow. Uh, I mean, Myra and I, we, Myron's, I think, started back, what, 2004? Yeah, 04. So I kind of started this in 04, but really in 05. And I remember in the beginning, just magically coming up with numbers because there was no guidelines. There was, there was no book. There was no Robin Robbins. There was nothing. Yeah. Essentially, I think I had some experience from my previous job on some services. So I kind of stole some of that, I think, and then kind of estimated what it would cost to manage something per month. And then that's kind of how I came up with the pricing model in the beginning. Honestly, I actually talked to some clients of mine to figure out what do you think this is fair? For me, very similar. It was a formula. I basically looked at the company I worked for, which was a traditional break fix VAR. And I looked at the formula of how much they were billing per computer, uh, basically per hour, per month. And it always calculated to right around, I think it was like an hour and a half a month that of support. So I, f- I figured if it was subscription based, right? It was a monthly basis. You can come to a, a conclusion that for, for one hour of a labor hour, per month, it would cover that machine. So it helped us to be kind of level the playing field. So I came up with a, with a formula and, and we started the business with that formula. And up until today, the only thing that inflation has just brought up that pricing, but that formula is still in place. I think that's a that's definitely a good way of, of looking at it for sure. Recognizing that the differences from 15 years ago to now is that users have more than one device. So that kind of skews things a little bit. And the other thing is, Grant, I agree with the inflation statement 100%. However, we also have much better tools today to make our jobs more efficient. That means make, makes us more profitable. <laughs> right. Agreed. Agreed. But you have to you have to realize, though, the market demands a little bit more flexibility, again, based on region, like Craig's market is different than yours, Myron, which is different than mine. And we have our price points and we have our, our models and whatnot. But let's kind of maybe hit it up and talk about, you know, there's what, about seven or eight different pricing models that exist. How do you kind of figure out which one is right for you? For us, we, we are on a per device pricing model. So as you, like the statement that you're saying, you, you got some people that have multiple devices, we charge per device. Uh, the rates depend in the in the geographical market, whether we're in New York, whether we are in Dallas or or other cities across the country. The the pricing model varies a little bit, but basically it's a per device. And we offer two flavors of that per device. We offer a unlimited on site 
so we can go on site unlimited hours uh, as needed to support that those devices. And the other option is that it's remote only. And then when it's remote only, then they get billed for all the on site time. So that's how we've we've broken it up for ourselves. Either you do per device uh, pricing model. We do. We actually have a blend. So we definitely have a per device pricing model, 100%, but we also do a per user. So we have both that we blended. The majority, probably three quarters of, of our pricing is based on per device, but then we do have a per user cost as well. So our program offers a lot more flexibility because realistically, you've got you know, a per device pricing model, you've got per user, you've got only monitoring. Some customers only want to be monitored, right? You've got your tiered model, which is like, you know, bronze, silver, gold, etc. You have your value-based pricing and you've got some a la carte and all you can eat. So we've kind of taken those, all those different models and we actually really did base it on a few different things. We kind of figured, okay, what are, what does it cost for us to, to stay functional as a business? What's our monthly burn rate? And how many machines are we supporting today? And how many users are we supporting today? Or how many devices and users are we supporting today? So it costs us X to stay viable, regardless of how many machines we have. Clearly today it's profitable. I mean, it sounds funny to hear me saying that doing the math that way, because our original formula is different than it is today. We've evolved, but we figured out, okay, we can do X number of machines per employee. So this is how we can price it out accordingly. We also recognized, you know, what do we want to make? What's our target profit margin? And what are our competitors doing in the market, right? So I looked at all of those things and our model we kind of came out with is it is per device. It is per user as well. The per user side of it includes app support, help desk and whatnot. And then we have uh, everything that we do is all you can eat pricing except for net new projects. So if a customer comes to us and says, hey, you know what? I need to deploy new servers in Azure. Well, that's extra. If we need to migrate, we had one customer came to us and said, no, we have everything on Dropbox and we're having problems with them for XYZ reason. We need to move everything to OneDrive. So that's a project, right? And we build for it accordingly. So that's that's how we kind of built it out. And for us, it's 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 been pretty successful overall. After uh, talking to you guys for the last couple of years, we we didn't charge for the users, and basically we had, we did some adjustments. So any new agreements we've signed, it, it's per device, but we also have a user charge. It's minimal, but it it basically uh, what it does is that there there are some organizations that maybe have let's say. 200 users, but only have 150 devices, or maybe they have mobile devices, which in our case, we don't charge for those unless they're, they're on mobile device management, but they have a user. So we have a active directory. We have a office 365 cost. There's, you know, and managing that office 365 cost. We split that up where originally we had it all built in. And I know that people charge for printers and firewalls and things like that. We, we do the firewalls as well. Um, and we, we charge for a one thing uh, that's, I think, different for us is we charge a, a flat fee per location. So if the customer has two locations, let's say we charge a flat fee per each of those locations for all the, the miscellaneous devices that kind of end up there. We used to, back in the day, I'd have to say, we, we were all the different models that exist, the half dozen to dozen models that exist in our market. We used to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We'd do this, we do that. We had some customers that were monitoring only, and then they would pay us retainers for the, the actual labor. And what we found was that, although it sounds great on the surface because it seems less expensive to the customer and it's an easier sale, it's not a viable business model for us. We found that when it came time to renewal, never renewed. 
Because they're like, well, you're just monitoring. It's just a software subscription. I can get that from anywhere and I can go get an open source app that does it. And if I got to support it, big deal for the cost, it's worth it and blah, blah, blah. Right. We also have a little bit of tiered pricing in as well. Like we do have um, our essentials and professional and our essential professional and our enterprise offerings, if you will, like the three different tiers and sorry, essentials of professional and, and comprehensive. And the three different offerings have a small price difference. It's not very huge. The biggest variable difference is response time in the SLA. It's essentially eight by five by next business day, eight by five by four hour or 24, seven, 365. Those are the three tiers. And that's the only real difference is the SLA and our, our, tiering. But outside of that, you know, we try to keep it simple. We want to provide them with as much coverage as possible. And, and we bundle a lot of things in to standardize as well, just to make sure they're using the right tools, right? We, we started with tier pricing and we had uh, three three tiers, but we realized that most of the, and, and this this happened to on the Greenlink side as well. Our, our pricing was, was uh, three tiered. We had our, and, and quickly we realized that everybody was going for, for one of the tiers. So we, we stripped it down to two and then eventually we just got rid of it because the amount of people that were buying into the, the one versus another, it, it was just so minor. So in our case, we got rid of the tier and then just made, you know, options that people can, at, you know, opt into. And that's basically what you're saying, uh, Joe, because you're saying you're, you're opting into the SLA that has, you know, faster response time or whatever the case is. Right. The big thing for us is, you know, the difference between eight by five by four hour versus 24, seven, four hour. Those are the two jumps because the majority of our customers are eight by five by four hour. We do have some smaller companies that like the next business day because it gives them that extra pricing relief and they just want to find the least expensive solution. But I'd say that's probably less than 10 or 15% of our customer base. The rest of it's about equal. Like it's either customers want the 24 seven or they don't. And if they're not willing to pay for it, we won't give it to them. But we have, we do offer. So the funny thing is this, is we offer 24 seven on a pay as you go. So if they open tickets after hours, because there's an emergency, they pay handsomely for it. Yeah. So there's a, there's a premium, there's a premium for that. But we're not going to turn customers away because at the end of the day, it's all about the customer experience. Got to take care of their businesses regardless. I only have two levels. I have standard and PETA. <laughs> PETA, pain in oh, the I ass. I know what PETA stands for, but. That's it. Just two. What do you do? Oh, you're, you're a super smart expert person. You don't need my help. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard of some companies doing a la carte type pricing model. It's good if your market demands it. It does offer a lot more flexibility. The challenge with a la carte pricing, you know, if you say, oh, do you want email? Okay. Oh, you want us to manage it? Okay. Oh, you want backup? Okay. Oh, you want anti-spam? Okay. Oh, you want, like, if you start offering all of these features as options and then the support for these features as options, the challenge is, A, it's confusing to the customer. As much as they may think that they have all the control, they, to remember what they have support on and what they bought, et cetera. The other problem is for you as an MSP, it becomes much more challenging to manage that customer. So we made a decision 
it's either you're going to take our offering or we're not the right shop for you. Because I know what our efficiencies are all about. And I know that if I, for a fact, have anti-spam, antivirus, and it's the ones that we support and they're buying it through us, I'm managing it and we have backup and we know where all the backups are and we have archiving and we know where all the archiving data goes and we have all this information lined up because it's standardized across all of our customers. And by the way, we're getting best of breed tier one products. We're not buying some known product from you know some country we've never heard of before, some developer out of his basement, because there's tons of those that sound like they're big companies, but they're not and they're priced respectively, right? So yeah, there's a little bit of a premium to go with the tier ones, but when you get up to volume, the pricing kind of works its way, normalizes, but you're going to have a much better customer experience and their environments can be much more stable and you're going to have a lot less work. When we doubled our business from like, uh, I think it was like 2006, 2007, it was because we made that change. We went to standardize, specifically at that time, it was antivirus and firewalls. We standardized across all of our customers and that made life a lot easier. We already had the backups in place. So by by doing those three pieces from a support standpoint, it made it easier. We guaranteed that the backups were working and guaranteed that the security was there. I totally agree. And and in our in our case, we add some of that into our pricing model already. So we give it to them for free. So that there's no no discussion at all. 100% agreed. That's the best way to do it. The device license for us or the device per device subscription model it includes antivirus for us. It includes content filtering. It includes managing the device. It includes the RMM tool. It includes... Hey, Joe, what does it not include? We actually don't... Devices themselves... It might be easier just to list that instead. <laughs> we actually... So what we decided is we don't back up the data on individual devices, like laptops and whatnot, because it's really expensive to do that, especially with technologies like OneDrive and whatnot available. What we prefer to do with customers, not all of them like this, but we prefer to do is lock the machine down that they can't save anything locally except for their OneDrive uh, folders. And then everything synchronizes once they go online and they can keep things offline as well. But on top of that, we then back that up. So I know all the important data is in OneDrive and I'm backing it up off the Microsoft cloud infrastructure to one of our data centers. So it works out really well because it's all standardized. Well, and, and there's the, you know, oh, well, that's going to be pricey. Why, why we're going to have customers that are going to want a lower price. Well, in our case, we walk away from those, those customers. You know, we just don't take them because they're just too much trouble. So we, we focus on the customers that are willing to spend the money on their, on their support, on their IT infrastructure. And that way we don't have to deal with that. So it, it makes sure that the support is in place, the systems are in place, and it, it creates a better relationship between us and the customer. So if the customer is not willing to pay that, then that may not be the type of customer. Again, this depends on the market that you're in because there are some markets that just do not accept that. But in the markets that we service, that's really that's really okay. And it, it happens. I mean, I, I've shared a story of uh, accounts that we've had to back away from because we, we realized that they're just going to nickel and dime us for everything. Because you have to think about, it's not just supporting the, the, the account, it's the administrative nightmare behind it. You know, recently I, uh, we sold a, basically a block of hour and we don't sell block of hours. And I did this for somebody that we, we have a good relationship with. After selling the block of hours, they were like, well, we're not going to pay it up front. And I'm like, well, <laughs> what benefit is there to me? So th- we went back and forth on that. And, and then they wanted all kinds of detailed billing, which is going to add a ton of administrative hours that we 
typically don't have to deal with. So again, it was great because it was a ton of hours that we sold. But at the end of the day, it, those hours are going to cost us more than if we would have gone with our regular support contract that we typically use. So be careful of what models you put out there because it may look good from a dollar standpoint. You'll see, ooh, we sold X amount of dollars. But the administrative nightmare that comes behind it also costs you money. You know, and that typically happens after the payment is done. So make sure that whatever model you 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 pick is one that it creates a good uh, scenario for your for your staff that you can support it correctly and you can invoice your customer and not have a hassle from an administrative standpoint from chasing the 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 collecting the the all, all this other stuff. Craig, you've been pretty quiet. Oh no, I've been talking this entire time. You guys just haven't been listening. Oh. I got this nifty glass that someone sent to me as a gift. Really? These Norwin whiskey glass. Mmm, baby. As a gift. It's a gift. Came in this fancy wooden box with a leather interior. Salute. I have a Nolan glass, but I wasn't the one that gave them to you. I wish it was, but actually a very good friend of ours did, but which I will not name. Why not? Because I would, I, I don't want him to think that he has to give you guys glasses too. <laughs> no, nah, no, no, no. <laughs> They're all out. They're gone. So, so it is Indiana Whiskey Week here. All Indiana whiskeys are twenty five percent off. So I felt obligated to go purchase some. And the uh, the one that I picked today is I, I think I may have spoken this one before. It's Tanner's Creek. It's a blended bourbon whiskey. I typically don't drink a blend, but this is actually. Very good. It's only 85 proof, so it's it's a very easy drink. No ice needed, no water needed. Uh, it is an MGP distilling out of Lawrenceburg. But I have to say, for $25, or 26 I think, actually, for 25% off, normally I think it's 34-ish, if I do math in my head. I'm surprised about this one. So it's actually an easy, an easy pour of drink. I assume that's what you guys wanted from me, unless you want to talk about technology. Boop, 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 buttons, boop, 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 boop. Well, we could talk about whiskey and then we can go back to technology. Joe, what are you drinking? So I've gone back to one of my staples, uh, Balvenie. Hold on, hold on, Joe. Hold on, Joe. Myron, should we take a guess? I just, I just told you. You just said it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm drinking the Balvenie Doublewood 12-year-old. My number one. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, too. It's, uh, it's not my number one, but it's definitely top five for sure. Probably, I'd say number three for me. Uh, no, number four. I like the 17 better. The 17 double wood. I was about to pull the list out and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a big change. <laughs> no, 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 no. I still say Glendronic Caribbean cask, which is also Balvini. The Balvini double wood 17, then the, the, the 12. Wait, 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 wait. You just, so you're, you had said 1792 was up there. I said scotches, not whiskey. Ah, he's changing it up. He's changing it up. You, you mean you mean bourbons? No, no, no. no. He he means that that was his list of his scotches. The next thing he's going to say, they're all spacesides. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on along. So uh, I'm drinking an Abelor, which is on my top five, and this is a 16 year old double cast matured Abelor from Spaceside. <laughs> From Speyside. I do like this bottle. This bottle is great. Uh, is it a uh, hundred, hundred and fifty? How much was that? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I bought this like you remember those bottles that we, you guys made me buy for when you guys came to Texas. Made you buy? 
Oh, no, made made me pick made up. You buy. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, you know, uh, for our listeners, when uh, we've mentioned this before, but what we did, Craig grabbed his left arm, I grabbed his right arm. We bent them back around each other and forced him to buy hundreds of dollars of whiskey. Actually, we were trying to get his credit card numbers from him, but that's that's what he they were trying to do. Yeah. But the, honestly, what happened? What happened was that, that we prepaid and asked you to go pick up for us. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So you didn't buy it. Exactly what happened. So so they they prepaid and they made me go pick it up. Yeah, but we didn't get to drink it. Yes, you you packaged it in your luggage and you took it back home. Oh, that's right, I did. <laughs> if anybody listened to this, that did not happen. Yeah, yeah, it was in the package at the luggage and it went home. <laughs> so in terms of pricing models, Craig, I know you're in you're in a small you know town. How is that different for you? And and how do you offer? Yeah. We do not offer an unlimited plan. We used to offer an unlimited plan, but what I found was people would heavily uh, abuse it. You sound like that, like the like the COVID restrictions. You may go out, but you shouldn't go out. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you may, you could, you should, you may. I'm in central, south central Indiana, towards Indianapolis. The uh, unlimited model works pretty well towards some other towns it does. But in our region, when I have attempted to sell it, majority of people here don't see IT as a priority when it comes to the budget. So we have to be very uh, creative with the pricing in order to get people to actually accept it. So it's it's more of a hybrid model. We also do a lot of co-managed. We have a lot of customers that have full IT staff, but they don't have the expertise to handle the majority of the technology that's on site. So we actually handle all the big pieces and uh, they handle all the desktops. So that's, that's usually our bread and butter, handling the large corporations that have complex systems but don't have the staff or can't retain the staff. And that's the other problem with this region is if someone gets a, a good skill set, they're gone. It's hard to keep them here. So speaking of the co-managed business, because that's, that's, that's a model that's really brewing lately. If you're growing as an MSP and you're starting to hit those, those accounts that have 100 plus seats, you're going to start hitting accounts that have a either a full-time IT person or a small IT department. And you're going to have to either figure out uh, real quick through the through the sales process, whether you want to sell to replace the IT department or do you want to sell to coexist with the IT department and be in this co-managed uh, environment. And it all depends on who you're talking to and what their plans are. I mean, for, for us, and that's the space that we basically work in, most of the accounts that we have come in where they they either the CFO or the C-level executive doesn't know what the hell's going on in the IT department and they have a few people that they pay a payroll to but they don't they don't know what they do so they want to have a little bit better control and they want to bring in a company like us or an MSP so that they have a little bit more of a clarity, let's call it a professionalized IT department in that sense where we would come in and either take over the entire department or a portion of the department and and work with whoever's left in the department. And that's a very good model. I'm just going to point this out there. It's a very good profitable model because if you structure it correctly, they may be doing most of the heavy lifting on the desktop side and you're putting in all the policies and all the procedures in place and the, and deciding on the technology, which basically ultimately drives how the IT's handled it for the company. Craig, give me your insight on how, how that's worked out for you. A lot of the uh, larger companies that we co-manage, 
A lot of the time I handle most of the uh, procurement and design of the equipment and implementation of the uh, not just the server farm, but the networking. Um, how do we go about supporting and managing? Well, recently, how do we support and manage all these remote workers? Like, how is that? How do they do that? Because you had these large companies with an IT staff and all of a sudden all everybody's home. They they didn't have the tools, but we did and how to manage all those people. That became a, all of a sudden a priority. The, the one thing I would say is you, you have to stay in communication with them because the worst part about co-manage is when the client decides they're going to do something they think is right. And it actually makes things worse when they don't have the expertise or know how to go about setting policy in place. Maybe when you bought 50 Windows home machines, uh, you should have maybe called somebody before noticing that you maybe needed per licensing. And even though Dell knew or HP knew that you had domain and all sorts of the important pieces in place, but they were like, hey, it's, it's a sale. And they just closed it anyway. So the what I find is you have to be on your toes. You have to be in front or they'll make decisions without you. And sometimes those decisions will, you'll win in the end. And sometimes the decisions may cause you more problems than you were willing to take on. Yeah. So for, for us, those quarterly business reviews, you know, the QBRs, they, they end up being more like bi-weekly or bi-monthly to make sure that we're in line with the that IT department. And in our case, we typically take over the 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 department and then we leave a person or a team of people that are managing maybe the projects of uh, application develop uh, application um, projects. Maybe they're implementing an ERP program or something that's more specific to the industry, like a line of business applications. We're still dealing with the infrastructure, the support of the desktop and things like that. But having that one-on-one conversation with either the C-level or, or whoever to make sure that you're not getting cut out of the, of those projects and things like that. Because at the end of the day, especially if your contract is all you can eat, you want to make sure that that, that discussion is there. So uh, you want to have those provisions in the agreement. So that make sure that, that they're including you in those conversations. Joe, how are you doing that? Good. Like the other thing I was going to say is one of the biggest struggles that we have is actually booking those quarterly meetings. It's it's painful because things are running well. They just like, ah, you know what? I don't need to spend the time. It's a challenge for us, right? And the only time they're willing to to talk is when things aren't running as smooth as they they wanted. Because when things are going great, why should I spend time on this? And I'm I'm I've, we've struggled with it for years. How do we get their commitment on QBRs? And um, one of the concepts that we've been kind of throwing back and forth is saying, hey, if you book this QBR, we'll give you a hundred dollar credit kind of thing. And now all of a sudden, you know, time value, dollar value, there's something there for me at least. Okay, I'll spend half an hour with you for that that $100 credit. And like at the end of the day, you build everything in, et cetera, et cetera, to cover yourself, but they don't give you the time then to talk about it. And, and the QBRs, in my opinion, are just as important, if not in some cases more important than the actual work from the day-to-day side of things. Because when you're supporting the end users and the devices and whatnot, and things are going great, the end users, eh, sure, they're they're happy, whatever. But when things aren't so smooth, you want to have that relationship with the executive team to say, hey, look, you know, we've had 23 months of flawless support. There was a hiccup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. We have had seven quarters of flawless reports. Okay, it's one small hiccup. Okay, let's deal with it as a team because now you've got buy-in from them and now it's a team effort. And I think the the key thing there is to actually say, you know, when you're talking to customers is that this is not an outsourced 
solution. You're not outsourcing your IT department to us. The way we work is we become your IT department at a predictable budget. There's a big difference in perspective, right? Because now you're on the team, you're part of everything. And the same way they would have any department, they would treat you like a department. I a hundred percent agree to that. And, and I think that has been for us one of the things that made a biggest, the biggest difference. The customers that take advantage of that and realize that, yeah, they're outsourced, but employees are outsourced. They're just paid under a W-2. The department is an outsourced department. But uh, at the end of the day, if you treat us like we are the department and we're just to maybe somewhere else in a different building, the customer is going to get the biggest value out of us. And those customers that treat us that way truly get the best value out of out of us. And we get the best value out of the customer. So it's a win-win situation because we're in, in synergy of what, what that business needs. And we we are working, you know, together to make sure that they that they succeed. I was on a call today with the CFO of one of our larger accounts. And that was basically, you know, every conversation he talked about, we, we, I was part of that we. And, and here I am. I mean, we're, we're larger MSP. I, I typically don't get on those calls, but you know, we, he's considering the, the, the organization as when he talks about, you know, the developers that we have on staff, he talked about, you know, our developers, you know what I mean? That's great. When you have that buy-in it's, and that's hard to get. And here we are. This is a CFO that whenever they need something developed, he's not asking what the price is. He's just asking, this is what we need. Our guys are going to do it. You know, and he's saying our guys, it, it when you get that kind of buy-in, uh, you, you create such a, a great relationship. And, that, and that's really important. I agree a hundred percent. It's it, and you've got to insist on that. And there's got to, I don't know what the right mechanism is to enforce it, but it has to be because we struggle with that so much enforcing that. How do we get a QBR? How do we get, and we're always going back and forth. We've tried the, let's schedule all four meetings beginning of the year and that doesn't work because then they reschedule and then things get canceled and then you go nine months and you have nothing and, you, and you're bugging them and it ends up being an annoyance that you keep on them and they're like oh, i don't have time i don't have time it's not that they don't have time it's they don't see a need they don't make time they don't make the time it's it's it happens for us too so don't feel alone i mean we have a law firm that has been with us and i used to work my first like full-time job i worked at that law firm and then I know the attorneys, you know, so I was, it was a young guy and I, I know those guys for a long time and, and they're like, ah, don't worry. I mean, I went to their wedding the whole night. I mean, ah, don't worry about it. We don't have to get on the call, but they, we truly have to get on the call because that's how we stay in sync and they don't see it. We, we have to get on a call with them maybe every other year. And by then it's because something went wrong. Now they want all hands on deck. Whereas the ones that do take advantage of the QBR, they have a, a better synchronization of what we're doing and what their what their expectation is of what we're doing. And it works out great. So I think overall, there's going to be some accounts that are going to want want it and, and take advantage of it. And there's going to be some of them that just, they don't. And I think that's, it's also how you build everything into your pricing model. So when you're, when you're pricing everything out, recognize that to do a QBR does take between one and three hours to prep for it. And then you've got, if you're doing a virtual, call it an hour between presentation and follow-ups. If you're doing on-site, call it two hours. So you're looking at five hours, a quarter. And that's only if one person's going out. If you got the second person involved, that goes up. You got to, they got, I mean, that's not a free service. They, you've got to build that in no matter how you, 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 you look at it. So maybe when you're building your pricing model out, take that into consideration, right? Say, hey, you know what? 
Because we still, and this is the part that that gets to us sometimes where we get so frustrated, every quarter, we still build the QBR docs out. We still have everything ready to go. And then we don't get the FaceTime. And we say to customers, well, oh, well, why didn't we know about this? Well, actually, we've been bugging you for the last three months to, to reschedule that QBR. And it was in there. And you would have known about it if you would have given us the time. Well, you should have just told me that. Well, I was trying to, right? We have a customer in that... Uh, I, I don't even do them quarterly. I do them monthly with that customer. And the, the, my, the important part of this, of this piece is that don't always just go out and have a QBR because you want to sell some. You want to have a QBR because you want to make sure that you update them on what you've done on what you will be working on and, and, and for you to hear what they've done and what they're working on from their business side. It may not turn into dollars, but that relationship building that that's where it's important. I have, I have a specific, a specific customer, which at this point I consider a dear friend and, and Joe, you know, based on what you brought me from you know Canada how how important they are to me right as 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 friends we meet every single time every single month we meet we go out to dinner we have a great time and and it's not about selling them something it's making sure that we're both in line on what what we need for the business and ultimately some of it turns into projects some of it turns into into business but it, it's it's just that's that's what I believe that's really what it, it comes down to. I agree, because that's how you stay synchronized with their business. And that's how you keep your offering with an, an enormous amount of value to them. You have a bet, your bet, best impact happens once you've done like three, four QBRs. That's when you really start driving value into their business. And that's how they consider you not to be a third party, but to be a department for them. And what, what we have always found, the customers that do take us up on QBRs, they actually ask for them to be more, more frequently than quarterly. As a matter of fact, we have two customers in particular, one that wants a weekly 15 minute touch point, And one that's every other week is a one hour touch point. And we bring in all their resources globally and they, we all get on a call for an hour. Every Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, you'll never catch me answering the phone because, you know, or every other Thursday, pardon me, because we do this bi-weekly call with them. And that's what they need and that's what they want and that's how they want to manage it. And that's great. We still insist that we have quarterly executive meeting with their CXOs just to do a 15-minute update in those scenarios. And it works really well. And with those, those two customers in particular, we have a super strategic alignment to them. And there's, they always say, wow, the value you guys drive. You're right. Don't make it a pitch. As a matter of fact, don't try to sell them anything. What bothers customers is, and we used to do this was a mistake that we used to make is when you walk in saying, Oh, your servers are crap and you need to replace them all. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. Even though it's true, that's not the time to actually talk about that. You need to address things saying, look, over the last 30, 60, 90, this is what we've seen. And this is what we're doing over the next 30, 60, 90. What is your business coming? What's coming down the pipe with your, Oh, you're going through a potential MA. Oh, you might be moving your office. Oh, you might, well, there's an opportunity that we can talk about doing this, that, and the other, or are you happy with this? You're happy with that? Talk about their satisfaction and talk about what you've done for them and also address the things you are planning to do for them under the existing program. In a QBR, don't try to upsell. What happens when you don't try to upsell and they don't feel that it's a sales pitch and it is truly a technical review? They buy. 100% of the time, they buy and you haven't tried to pitch them a thing. That's that's completely true. You know, we we only talked about a few pricing models, and and we're already like way into our podcast. 
Well, I, you know, I think the rest of them, we've touched on the majority of them. I'd say. I, I think there's a, there's an opportunity for a part two to this. Oh, okay then. <laughs> All righty. Let's, let's, uh, let's do that. Let's kind of break and uh, part two will be coming up shortly. Stay tuned. In a couple of weeks. Kevin, take it away. That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at it4whiskey.com. Wait, did we just stop? (laughs) (laughs) We just stopped. (laughs) It's a great idea.